Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. Hello, and welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series. My name is Stuart Bryant, your host, and today we're going to be doing a quick pharmacology question dissection. Uh, this episode will go through some questions from our All Audio Q Bank and hopefully give you a little bit of content on pharmacology. This week is pharmacology, and I hope it aids your studies. Later in this week, we will have more episodes, including our Crush Step 1 excerpt and our question dissection. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy. A 30-year-old male comes into clinic with a swollen, painful big toe. The patient is a heavy drinker and steak eater. He was asymptomatic for what he says until he went to a party last night, after which the pain intensely increased substantially. Which of the following is the most appropriate treatment for this patient? Is it A. Aspirin B. Probenicid C. Rasburicase or D. Indomethacin The correct answer is D. Endomethacin. The patient is experiencing an acute gouty flare. The painful hot swelling of a single big toe is known as podagra. The best way to treat a mild acute gouty flare is with NSAIDs, of which endomethacin is preferred over other NSAIDs as it has a shorter duration of activity. Colchicine also treats acute gout, but its toxicity limits its use over endomethacin and is not first line. In an acute gouty flare, the etiology is monosodium urate crystals due to overproduction of uric acid or decreased elimination of uric acid. Arthrocentesis of an infected joint. Arthrocentesis of a joint will show negatively bipharyngent needle-shaped crystals under polarized light. Acute flares can be further classified into mild, moderate, and severe which basically are determined by the number of joints involved, but are not as important to know for a step one exam, as is understanding of the mechanism. Acute flares can be further classified into mild, moderate, and severe, which basically are determined by the number of joints involved, but not as important to know for a step one exam compared to the understanding of the mechanism by which acute gout is targeted and why NSAIDs are the preferred initial treatment of gout. A 25-year-old pregnant woman comes to clinic during a routine prenatal visit. Blood pressure is 189 over 100 and heart rate is 80. Review of systems is significant for a mild headache. Her OBGYN physician prescribes an injectable antihypertensive and a beta blocker by mouth to go home on. Once her blood pressure is within normal limits, she is sent home and encouraged to use the beta blocker medication for her hypertension as prescribed. Two weeks later, the patient presents back to clinic with arthralgia in both knees and fatigue. Laboratory results show positive antihistone antibodies. 
What is the mechanism of action of the agent responsible for her new onset symptoms? Is it A. Calcium channel antagonism B. Potassium channel activation C. Release of endogenous nitrous oxide or D. Interference with activation of inositol triphosphate IP3 on intracellular calcium release. The correct answer is D. Interference with action of inositol triphosphate IP3 on intracellular calcium release. Parenteral hydralazine is used for emergency reduction of blood pressure in late pregnancy preferably in combination with a beta blocker to avoid unpleasant tachycardia. Hydralazine, procainamide, and isoniazid have been classically linked to drug-induced lupus, indicated in this scenario by the presentation on arrival and positive antihistone antibodies. Patients usually have a history of use of one of these medications and present with arthralgia, myalgia, fatigue, Cirrhositis, such as pericarditis and pleuritis, and 95% of them test positive for antihistone antibody. Hydralazine can interfere with the action of inositol triphosphate IP3 on calcium release from the sarcoplasmic reticulum. This may or may not be related to the propensity to cause drug induced lupus. A 56-year-old woman presents with complaints of pain in her fingers and wrist for the last six months. She says the pain is present in both hands, and her wrists are also swollen. Furthermore, she describes morning stiffness in her joints lasting about two hours, which improves with use. She's been taking acetaminophen, which provides minimal relief, but the swelling has gotten worse. She also is, feels increasingly tired. Her past medical history reveals she was successfully treated for Helicobacter pylori, H. pylori, related ulcers last year, but still takes omeprazole for her mild gastroesophageal reflux. Her past history is otherwise unremarkable. She stopped drinking when her gastric symptoms started and has never smoked. Which of the following analgesic drugs is relatively safe in this patient? Is it A. Indomethacin B. Selicoxib, C. Diclofenac, or D. Naproxen. The correct answer is B. All of the drugs listed are nonsteroidal anti inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs, which act by inhibiting the cyclooxygenase, or COX enzyme, thereby exerting analgesic and anti inflammatory effects. Except for silicoxib, the others listed act on both COX-1 and COX-2 isoenzymes. COX-1 is primarily expressed in non-inflammatory cells and provides a homeostatic function, while COX-2 is expressed in active lymphocytes, neutrophils, and other inflammatory cells. Notably, COX-1 is needed to produce protective prostaglandins in the gastric mucosa. Inhibition of this isoenzyme leads to an increased risk of gastric mucosal erosion. 
inhibition of the COX-2 isoform provides analgesic and anti-inflammatory effects while not having the antiplatelet effects of aspirin and other NSAIDs. Celecoxib is a selective COX-2 inhibitor. Celecoxib is a selective COX-2 inhibitor which has a reduced risk of gastrointestinal side effects such as gastric ulceration and gastrointestinal bleeding which are typical of non-selective COX inhibitors. The analgesic and anti-inflammatory effects of celecoxib occur due to the blockage of prostaglandin production, which are released at sites of inflammation. A 43-year-old male comes to the physician because of two-week history of worsening pain in multiple joints. He reports that the pain is most severe at the proximal parts of his fingers, and also at his wrist, but is now present up to his elbow. He states that his knee joints also occasionally hurt. Further history reveals that joint involvement is bilateral, morning stiffness is present, but improves with activity. Three months ago, he was started on ibuprofen for pain management, which he states was effective up until the last two weeks in which his pain has worsened with no response to ibuprofen. Which of the following is the best therapy to be added in the management of this patient? Is it A. Cyclosporin B. Infliximab C. Anakinra or D. Methotrexate The correct answer is D. Methotrexate. This patient has rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis is treated initially with NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, primarily for symptom relief. All patients are treated subsequently with disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, or DMARDs, as maintenance therapy for the disease, in addition to the symptom management of NSAIDs. The first and most commonly used DMARD for rheumatoid arthritis is methotrexate, the first-line drug. It is effective in rheumatoid disease in most cases. If a patient is not under control with two medications, a biologic agent or TNF-alpha inhibitor is added, most commonly infliximab. This is usually in severe cases of rheumatoid arthritis. A 68-year-old female comes to the physician for her annual flu shot. History is significant for rheumatoid arthritis diagnosed four years ago, several elective cesarean sections in her late 20s, and an appendectomy as an adolescent. Medications include methotrexate and celecoxib for her rheumatoid arthritis. Folate supplementation for her multivitamin that she takes every day is also part of her medication regimen. She does not consume alcohol, smoke, or take recreational drugs. Her physical exam is unremarkable. The physician orders a CBC or complete blood count and results are significant for a hemoglobin level of 14, the mean corpuscular volume of 84. The patient is asymptomatic and wants to discontinue the medication for that reason. The physician wants to monitor her therapy for the time being and depending on the findings, he will consider discontinuing the methotrexate and celecoxib. The most sensitive test for monitoring this patient's therapy is which of the following? Is it A. C-reactive protein, or CRP, B. 
rheumatoid factor, or RF. C. Anticyclic citrullinated peptide, or anti-CCP. Or D. Erythrocyte sedimentation rate, or ESR. And the correct answer is A. C-reactive protein, or CRP. Both the CRP and ESR are inflammatory markers and lack specificity, but are sensitive and should be elevated in any inflammatory condition. Therefore, despite these markers lacking diagnostic power, they are used to monitor disease activity in response to therapy in patients with rheumatoid arthritis and other autoimmune diseases. The liver produces CRP, which does indicate active inflammation, and can be used with an ESR to evaluate inflammation in rheumatoid arthritis and how it responds to treatment. This makes sense but does not give the answer yet, only narrowing it down to the two best. The reason that CRP is the best answer is because CRP is more sensitive to the body's presence or absence of inflammation and also is a more accurate reflection of the acute phase of inflammation than is the ESR. In this patient, the CRP fluctuates more quickly, that is, with less lag time, than does ESR for inflammation. To clarify, in the first 24 hours of acute inflammation, CRP will be elevated, but ESR may be normal. Similarly, if the inflammatory response is under control and eliminated, the CRP will drop to normal sooner than the ESR, and the ESR may stay elevated for three days. The board's insider tip for this one is that an anti-CCP is an attractive distractor based on its diagnostic use in rheumatoid arthritis. But we are not asked what is the best marker to make the diagnosis, we're asked what is the best marker to monitor a response for therapy. Hence, the acute phase reactant CRP is the most accurate and sensitive marker, and it is a surrogate for the body's inflammatory status. Thanks for listening this week. Come back later for our episodes, including our Crush Step 1 excerpt and our full question dissection. Each weekend, I'm trying to do practice question rounds sponsored by Stat Pearls, and I hope you can use that for some general content as well. If you haven't, please subscribe and rate the podcast. It really helps us. The best place for you to get access to all of our content is through the Inside the Boards app. The app is available on iOS and Android. It's free to use and includes the podcast as well as helpful things like meditations. And if you subscribe, you can get access to our all audio cue bank uh, for step one or step two content. We've taken previous seasons of the Study Smarter series and condensed them into helpful playlists for you to use on the app. So check that out as well. Like us on Facebook and share us with a friend who's also studying for the boards to help them out as well. As always, happy studying. Happy studying.